Welcome to episode 36 of the UK Sports Chat podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Daniel Lawrence. Dan is a physio and is also the educational director at Rock Tape. We thought we would do this one with your questions rather than ours, um, and we did this about products in the market at the moment. So listen to find out more about foam rolling, the science, common mistakes, use for fitness, and more. Massage sticks, massage guns, taping, cupping, and and loads more. So it was really interesting. Check out both the Rock Tape and Dan's YouTube channel as well. His YouTube channel is called the Physio Channel. Enjoy. Please comment on our social channels. We'd love to get some feedback on the podcast. And if you get a moment, please leave us a review. Have a great rest of your week and see you on next week's episode. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for coming on the UK Run Chat podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm I'm looking forward to having a chat and um, hopefully you have some questions for me. Yeah, Um, certainly do. So as I said in our... um, in the intro, you're um, you're a physio and you're also the educational director at Rock Tape. Do you, do you just want to start off by telling us you know, what what does what do you do in your role? Yes, certainly. Uh, well, uh, as a physiotherapist and the education director for Rock Tape, I tend to bring together uh, my clinical experience with the teaching elements that we have. Uh, alongside the product ranges at rock tape so just last night for example i was teaching about rock pods which are a form of uh, myofascial cupping and I'm, I'm delivering the syllabus but also leaning on my clinical experiences of using those products as well and historically for the last 10 years we've been teaching a lot of taping courses and that has very strong links with the running community, as many runners have either been taped or uh, taped themselves, because that's something that, that's possible to do. You can tape your own knee or your own Achilles tendon, for example. So yeah. that's another course that we teach, and uh, we have other courses too. But for the runners, I think it's probably the taping and uh, perhaps some of our vibration therapy products that would, that would be of most interest to them. And as I say, my role is to either educate other professionals how to use these products for their patients or to provide education through various platforms, such as YouTube videos, for example, on how uh, members of the public and and, um, amateur sports people can use these products to help manage their own aches and pains as they're going through their uh, recreational or, or training programs. Great. Okay. So, so bearing that in mind, what I thought would be a good way of um, hosting this this podcast interview was to actually go out to the community and ask and get their questions on on the products. Um, and we we've had a few come in. I'll I'll, I'll, start, I'll start, you mentioned rock pods there when you were um, just on that introduction. So, what what is cupping for those who, who don't know what it is and what does it do and how do you treat someone with it? Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, that's a, that's a, a brilliant starting point. So cupping has been around for thousands of years. It's certainly not new, but it's really had a bit of a renaissance re- recently. And that's probably because athletes like the swimmer, Michael Phelps, were seen with these circular marks over their shoulders, etc., in the last Olympics. And it got a lot of people interested and many, uh, many therapists have realized that cupping is being done in in professional sport and it just raised awareness of it and uh, uh, therefore other people athletes also wanted to try the treatment as well what it is what it does joe is um, basically it's it creates a vacuum it creates a vacuum underneath the cup that lifts the skin it creates a a feeling of of um, pulling and tension on the skin which is usually very therapeutic feeling and it can then be used to deliver a a massage style treatment but the difference is that with massage and other treatment approaches that it's usually about compression so if you think last time you had a a deep tissue massage there was an element of compression into your calf muscle or into your thighs as the therapist was compressing in in order to move and manipulate the soft tissue whereas with cupping 
instead of compressing, we can decompress, we can lift the skin. And that's a very unique experience to actually have the skin lifted and then mobilized around. Uh, it's really a very, a very therapeutic and an enjoyable thing to have done if you've got some aches and pains, whether they're from uh, gen general training or you're dealing with an acute injury, uh, or of course, you know, more, more persistent and, and chronic conditions as well. So it just opens up a whole new way of treating people with decompression rather than the traditional compression. Okay. And, and is, that, is that something that um, people can do themselves then or do they, they need to come to a physio to? to so, yeah, uh, so traditional cupping often involves cutting of the skin and the drawing out of blood within the cup. That's traditional cupping or what's called wet cupping and otherwise known as hijama. But that's not what we teach and that's not what a lot of modern cupping education systems uh, uh, really you know, teach or, uh, or go through on their courses. We teach dry cupping, which is very simply the cup applied to the skin, no damage to the skin and just a standard massage and, and mobilization. And for that reason, it is possible to teach the patient how to use that and how to apply that themselves. So if somebody had a sore knee, for example, they could have a couple of cups, silicone rubber cups, very easily applied, no suction pumps are needed or anything like that. Put them on each side of the knee and then they've got two soft tissue massage handles that they can then move around and mobilize the tissue around their knee, providing a, a therapeutic experience and, and being very helpful. And that can apply you know, to other areas of the body. It's particularly good for tennis elbow because that's obviously easy to reach. Just pop one onto your arm and you can mobilize and massage there, mm -hmm. as well as further down the body, like the calf muscles, for example, which are typically sore with runners. Yes. Um, so a, whereas a, a runner uh, who's experiencing some tension or soreness in their calf region probably defaults to the use of foam rollers or massage sticks, well, the cupping is another uh, perhaps more advanced and novel way of providing a self-massage for that region. And it can really give a feeling of, of, of a deep tissue manipulation, a deep tissue massage, um, again, without that necessity to um, overly compress, which can sometimes be associated with discomfort um, if you're having a, having a sore muscle jabbed by uh, by yourself or by a therapist so again yeah a unique experience and you can self self cup it's not something that's done that commonly and that often but mm -hmm. it is something which is becoming more more prevalent in the in the industry yeah it's, it's interesting that you say that's um a bit more advanced as well compared to yeah the, the rolling. yeah i think uh it's it's not difficult joe it's not difficult at all but somebody could grab a, a foam roller and use that themselves without really ha having any training um they could be taught to use it you know in a, in a more effective way but you can grab a roller off the shelf and you know you pretty quickly work out what to do you might see a picture or something and then you know give it a go yeah. whereas with the cupping you're going to need a little bit more uh, a bit more understanding you're going to need you know a, a little bit of instruction whether that's from a video or or a bit of instruction from your therapist as well just to give you the confidence to be able to use it because you know some people if they if they have something which they're not used to and they haven't seen before well they might be a bit reticent about using it in the first place but with a bit of a bit of knowledge uh, and a bit of demonstration people are usually you know happy and confident to go ahead and use it cool she mentioned foam rollers there. We had a, we had a flood of foam roller questions. Have we? I'll, I'll, really? I'll follow that, yeah. um, go on, go on. Foam rollers, $2.99 from Aldi or $29.99 from X shop. What's the difference aside from the cost? Well, foam rollers come in all different shapes and sizes. You've got, I suppose, at the cheaper end of the spectrum, you've got um, basically rolls of foam which look like they might have been lifted from, uh, from you know, a TV packaging or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just, it doesn't yeah. look like a fit, bit of fitness equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got those at the lower end of the spectrum. And at the higher end of the spectrum, you've got the vibrating rollers. Um, 
battery battery powered vibrating rollers, possibly even ones that connect to your smartphone. Uh, I know there's a couple that, that that do that. So that's at the higher end of the market, and you you're going to pay more for um, one of the vibrating rollers, and obviously you're going to pay a lot less for one of the uh, one of the foam rollers. And then you can look at the size and texture. You know, if you've got a really large foam roller, well, that might not be suitable for you if you're mobilizing your thoracic spine, for example. Mm -hmm. But if you've got um, another example might be a foam roller, which uh, which has spikes on it, you can have some that have these kind of um, knobbly bits on to yeah. create uh, an increased, increased um, pressure into the tissue. And well, some people might like that. They might feel that it's you know really doing something and providing a very, uh, very definite sensory input, whereas others might find that it's just unnecessarily um, torturous. So I would I would be like obviously if it's really cheap, you want to just check that it's robust enough, which it might be, um, but you want to just check that. And then you just want to think about other things other than the price, like how big it is, how soft it is. Uh, and all of these features just to make sure that that, that you like it and that it's suitable for you. Cool. Okay. So we, we've had two kind of similar questions. So one is, are foam rollers effective or are they a placebo? And a second, which was a comment saying, haven't they been shown to be ineffective? From what I gather, there's strong evidence that whilst they feel good, they don't necessarily speed up recovery. What 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 do foam rollers do, please, Dan? And of course, and, and, a, and a follow up question that we actually asked as well was what is the best way to use a foam roller? Um, you know, so that I know how do you know if you're foam rollering, even if that's a word correctly? Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, foam rollers, um, people often get caught up in the specifics of the foam roller design and whether there's any evidence for it or not. Um, I think if we step away from foam rollers for a moment and just look at, look at massage, your basic hands-on massage, nothing, nothing specific, not a certain type of massage, but a kind of standard uh, sports massage, if you will. Yeah. Now, there's many uh, uh, elements that go alongside a massage that are more psychological elements you know you've got the whole experience of of um of, of looking after yourself of, of spending time with a, with a therapist of giving yourself some time to relax of that whole environment before actually somebody puts their puts their hands on so there's that whole therapeutic environment that goes alongside a, a massage but the actual massage itself is the physical delivery of various levels of pressure so all that a foam roller is is a self-massage it's just uh, physical delivery of various levels of of pressure and you're using the foam roller to you know to to do that for you so it's a, a self-massage or self-myofascial release you can you know argue about which name is the most appropriate but the same way that you may rub a sore muscle with your hands i'm sure we've all all done that yeah. uh, rubbed a sore area with with our hands and we may have grabbed a rolling pin and done a self-massage with that well if you've ever rubbed yourself with your hands and then sort of used something else like a rolling pin to rub over your thigh well that's that's a, a form of, of of rolling and then you've just gone and you know bought a piece of specialist equipment to uh, to do that getting a bit more scientific though um if you've got sore muscles from intense training then you've got you've got an increase in sensitivity. So you, 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 you touch an area um, and it's sore. There's, there's no specific injury there, but it's just sore. There's just an increase in sensitivity over your thighs or over your calf muscles, for example. Now, if you apply a moderate level of input, a moderate level of force uh, therapeutically and over a sustained period of time, that sensitivity should reduce that reduction might be quite short-lived and transient, but that, that sensitivity should reduce. It's the same as if you were to visit a massage therapist and they find the sore bit and they press on the sore bit and it hurts, but then after a while it desensitizes and um, it, it becomes a bit less sore and you leave feeling a bit freer and a bit more mobile and, and less tender. It's the same thing with the rollers. You can use them to uh, uh, therapeutically work over those sensitive areas 
just to desensitize them and, and make them less, less sore and, uh, and less sensitive. Whether that speeds up recovery or not is, is debatable. Um, but, you know, if you're feeling less sore after doing a careful foam rolling session, then your recovery might just feel a bit easier and be a nicer experience as if you're going to be sore for a shorter duration of time or you're going to just be less sore whilst you're recovering. So your recovery physiologically might not speed up, but it just might not be such a, uh, an uncomfortable experience for you as you're going through the natural, natural recovery process. Yeah. So that's just a summary on, on those questions, Joe. Then did you ask the, the last point was about how to use a foam roller? Yeah, so the question is, uh, uh, written colloquially, how, how do you know if you're foam rollering, if that's even a term correctly, so for how much pressure, for how long, um, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, if we start with the common mistake that people might make, um, for example, if you take the lateral leg, the ITB, iliotibial band, yep. it's been historically quite common for people to put all of their body weight down through the roller whilst lying on their side and rolling their their itb with great discomfort and um almost a kind of heroic level of pain where people feel that it feels better after they've done it well is it a case of it feels better after they've done it or is it a case of it just feels better when they stop doing it because it hurts a lot. You know? um, and I think there is an element of desensitization there as we discussed before, but uh, the, 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 the sort of benefit, not the risk so much, but the pain benefit ratio is, is not generally in people's favor. So they're causing themselves a lot of discomfort rolling the ITB um, and then getting a bit of benefit from it. However, they could get the same benefits without causing themselves that, that level of discomfort. So that brings me on to answer how you might use the foam roller in the best way. Well, with the ITB, for example, if you were to roll off the ITB and roll the lateral thigh and over the lateral hamstrings, well, then you're rolling over muscle and muscle is like obviously softer and much more responsive and much faster to change in terms of sensitivity and, and muscle tone. Not much is going to change over the ITB uh, when, you're, when you're rolling it. So it's going to be more comfortable and more effective to roll just slightly in front of and slightly behind the ITB. And then of course, to get up into the glutes because the top of the ITB is, is connected to the glutes. So working on the glutes can have an influence over the um, the potential tension through the ITB. That's going to be more comfortable, more effective, and um, lead to a, a, a better outcome because you don't have to go through that, that unnecessary pain to achieve that. If you're rolling for recovery, um, you generally want to do it slowly and with a therapeutic level of pressure. So if there's a lot of pressure and it's causing a lot of discomfort, then you're probably causing yourself pain unnecessarily. If you roll too fast, it has often more of a stimulatory effect. So rolling slower gives the nervous system a chance to um, relax and bring about changes which would lead to reductions in, in muscle tone. Again, I'll just compare it to a massage. If you're having a post-event massage, you're going to have some slow relaxation, uh, sorry, slow relaxing techniques. Yeah. Whereas if you're having a pre-event massage, it tends to be a lot, a lot faster and a, something to kind of stimulate and G up the tissues before you go out and, uh, and, and take part in, in your event. So foam rolling afterwards and foam rolling for recovery should be slow with a therapeutic level of pressure. And that's likely to lead to the, the best effects. You could, you could just massage your, you know, yourself with your hands. We all know that's, that's possible, but just doesn't quite feel right. It's sort of difficult to do. I think having the added leverage and biomechanical benefit of using something which rolls and which you can just, you know, place your leg on top of and take advantage of just, you know, natural gravity and, and weight, et cetera, uh, can be, can provide a much more, a much more therapeutic experience for, um, for patients. I'm a fan as well of those, I mentioned rolling pins, but 
course, you can get ones that are a bit more purposely made. Those yes. massage sticks. Yes. I'm a fan of those massage sticks because uh, I, I find that um, they're just a little bit more, uh, what's the word, um, practical, more practical mm -hmm. to use. You know, you don't have to try and adjust your body weight as you're lying on top of them. You can just sit in the chair or wherever and just, you know, use them quite quite easily um, over over the body. So I'm a fan of the the massage sticks as well as the as well as the rollers. But you'll find a foam roller or some kind of roller because uh, they're not all made of foam in in pretty much uh, every physiotherapy clinic and sports therapy clinic. You'll you'll find one. It's it's just like a piece of furniture which just needs to needs to be there. And they are, they're just, again, just a self-massage tool. Uh, I think people probably overanalyze them, but it's just a way of giving yourself, you know, that, that quick bit of self-massage if, um, if required. Yeah. Uh, I could talk a bit more about those, but I'll stop there. Otherwise, we'll, we'll, we'll have a whole podcast with me talking about foam rollers and <laughs> no, it's probably good. have some other questions, Jay. It's good. We get, you know, we get asked these, these questions regularly. So this is something that we'll be able to keep sharing because it, you know it's a common question and they must it, they, you, you have a little bit of a marmite opinion some people do some people you know that's why we've had those questions that i've just asked you but they're um if they're a staple in every physio's room then that tells you something doesn't it yes so the other thing i was going to say is they're not just for what we've been discussing um you can place them underneath the mid spine the thoracic spine and then you can use them as a pivot point for mobilizations so they're fantastic for self-mobilization and i'd often teach patients that and then it's not so much a foam roller it's just a, a fulcrum point a pivot point for them to use and uh, again just a quick bit of versatile equipment which they can use to to achieve that um, and yeah better than anything else i can think of really to help mobilize the, the thoracic spine you can try cushions and pillows, but of course, by their very nature, they're, they're softer, so they don't provide that more solid pivot point that a foam roller would. Um, so yeah, they're useful for that, which is different than, than the self-massage application. And also because they, because they roll, you can use them for um, uh, stretching and for fitness workouts as well, because they, as they, you know, they, they roll away from you, so you can use them for stretching out through the, the, the lateral line, the latissimus dorsi, um, and you can use them different sizes for you know stretching out uh, around the calf region etc yeah. um, so yeah they can be used not just for the foam rolling but for the for the fact that they roll and they move and, and movement's always helpful in any therapeutic setting and the fact they provide that pivot point for mobilizing of the spine so that's another reason why you find them in in physio clinics mm -hmm. you, you mentioned massage sticks so we, we got asked how to use them and are they better or worse than a foam roller? I'm, I'm guessing they're a, an additional tool then from what you're saying for that self-massage rather than being better or worse. Yeah, they're, they're very much the same, aren't they? You see you're, you're relying on the fact that they roll in order to move up and down the body. Mm -hmm. um, often if you have a foam roller on the floor, you might sometimes wish that you could you know, pick it up and, and move it with your hands, um, which is sort of hard to do. So then you think, well, if it had something through the middle, then I could roll it myself, and then that well, that's then you've got a massage stick. Uh, so they they they're very similar. I suppose you could use a massage stick as a roller on the floor. You know, it's it it rolls, so you could still you know pop your limb on and, and use it in that in that way. Um, yeah, so they're they're very similar. You couldn't use a massage stick for for mobilizing the spine though, um, and you couldn't use it for so much for the as a roller for um, fitness and stretches and, and movements um but yeah i don't think you'd be greedy if you had both i think you'd make use of both if you were using one you'd likely make use of, of the other yeah um and i think if you're only going to have one well i'd probably go for the foam roller for the reasons i've stated it can be used for those other other things apart from foam rolling uh, yeah. but uh, but yeah a massage stick is a handy handy little thing to have around cool what about massage guns we, massage we, guns yeah are they are they yes. with it and how and when would you use a massage gun effectively and the two questions yes. guns yes they they are the new the, the the they're very in vogue on the market at the moment uh we as you know we um we work with the company in the uk called flow 
Flow Sports Tech, who make two fantastic massage guns, the Flow Pro and the Flow Mini. Even the Flow Mini is, is really robust enough to, to use in, in most uh, clinical settings. And the Flow Pro is a very, very impressive device. The thing with the Flows is they're quiet because the earlier massage guns were very noisy. And I even saw an attachment for a Black & Decker jigsaw, a massage, <laughs> a massage attachment for a Black & Decker jigsaw, which I thought was um, quite in, in, uh, ingenuitive, but also pretty dangerous, <laughs> pretty dangerous. Um, so the, it's good to see the, that a lot of products in the industry now are, are creating massage guns, which are designed for human use from the get-go rather than just modifications of something from home base which was always a concern um, the thing with the noise of course is the noise is not therapeutic it's not therapeutic to hear a, a mechanical jigsaw noise um, that's just automatically makes you feel a bit tense and less relaxed so that wasn't helpful but now they're quieter particularly the flow pro and mini are very quiet quiet machines they make a very relaxing noise almost like um uh i've got one of those noises they put on youtube to um is it uh, smr or something you know you can play the youtube videos where there's just like a a low level noise of somebody tinkering in their garage or a lawnmower and it goes on for hours and like millions of views yeah um yeah, yeah you know the ones i mean joe yeah. so you get makes... water trickling ones as well don't you yes the water yeah. trickling and, and that sort of thing so it makes a noise which i i can imagine somebody would make a, a highly popular like audio video out of um, so then it actually comes down to the mechanics of what's what what's happening often they're referred to as vibration uh, but what they are is actually most of them are percussion the difference between vibration and percussion is is the uh, amplitude of how much the head moves in and out so with percussion it's it's a little bit more movement and with vibration it's it's less less movement so Typically, the massage guns are, uh, are percussion guns, uh, which is just a more vigorous form of vibration. And they have become popular once again because they provide a very definite and often vigorous self-massage for, you know, for the individual. And I suppose over the last year, where people have typically had uh, uh, very much restricted access to to you know, to sports therapists, etc., and to to you know, to medical care, to NHS physiotherapists, uh, then things like this have, have really been very helpful for people to to treat aches and pains, whether that's from sitting at the laptop for too long and just having some tension around the shoulders, or of course from you know, from more athletic uh, athletic endeavours. So the vibration, if delivered correctly, and what I mean by that is if the individual uses it correctly and doesn't try and jab it into themselves with too much force or put it into a bony area mm -hmm. if used correctly can be uh, very therapeutic can lead to uh, rather rapid reductions in sensitivity so sore areas can then become a lot less sore very quickly muscle tone can feel like it's changed the perception of tension can change very quickly and uh, it can be very useful for you know for those uh, for those things so again it's it's a form of self-massage it's very 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 um unique and definitive in its delivery with the vibration is a very you know unique feeling that a lot of people really like some people of course don't like they you know they find it too vigorous or just don't enjoy the experience but a lot of people find it very very helpful and the results it can get are very quick which is very helpful for the individual but also they're very popular in clinic as well. A lot of a lot of therapists are now using them in clinic uh, because they're helpful, but also because um, the patients really like them as well. And if the patient's having a good therapeutic experience, well, that's you know that's that's just that's just a, a fantastic um, starting point for for any therapeutic intervention, really. Uh, so yeah, okay. There's sorry, Joe. Go on. So the so that's. The, the tip if someone has one then and they're using it at home is to aim for muscle not bony areas and, and let the gun do the work don't be jabbing it into yourself i think you said so just let it <laughs> let it do its job is that right yes yes absolutely those two things are really important and um 
you're going to get the results quite quickly with it. So you don't need to sit there for like, a, you know, a whole um, whole episode of EastEnders or something with the gun jabbed into you. Uh, literally, we're talking, we're talking like a matter of seconds to get the results that you need. So often 10 to 20 seconds and it's going to be, you know, you're going to get the results that you need and maybe do it a little bit more, but don't, you know, don't, don't sit there using it for, for ages. Yeah. Okay. Tape. We had a couple of yes. questions on tape. So, um, and, and they were mainly about how to apply and if, if you apply them incorrectly, is that worse than using it? But do you want to start with why, why people use tape, why it's applied and um, before we... Yes. That? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, tape, well, tape's been very popular now for a number of years. The kinesiology tape was actually invented in the 1970s, so it's, it's not as new as people might think. Uh, but it's a very helpful and versatile treatment medium that can be used by therapists and also by people that, that can use them directly themselves. Now, we've been using various supports, whether it's a simple tuber grip or, or a more, you know, more um, supportive neoprene supports. We've been using those without question for, for 50, 60 years uh, at least. And then when tape comes along, what it does is it offers the same sensory input and neurological feeling of support that, that tuber grips and uh, neoprene supports do, but it doesn't come with the same uh, restrictions that, that joint supports often um, give the physical restrictions of, of movement. And just that little bit of extra support around a muscle or around a joint People often feel that that gives them more confidence to move, um, reduces pain. And from a therapeutic point of view, it sends more sensory input, more information up to the brain. And whenever we have an increase in information up to the brain about a certain area of our body, it helps us to move and to control that area of the body a little bit better and improve the, improve the motor control. So it's classically used well, all over the place, to be fair, certainly Achilles tendons, knees, lower backs. Uh, it's been found to be very helpful for um, individuals suffering from um, arthritis related pain in the knees. It's very helpful on the lower back, for example. If we take the lower back as an example, mm -hmm. when you have lower back pain, um, I I've certainly had a few episodes, not too much. Have you, Joe, have you had some lower back pain? I've had I've sciatica, yeah, and I've... Yeah. And my, my right knee, I'm up to five operations now. So as you're saying, oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, my knee, I haven't there. Yes, yeah, no. absolutely. Um, the sciatica is a, a horrible, horrible thing to have. Uh, so on the lower back, when, when if, if the listeners are, are thinking um, or remembering when they had some back pain, when your back hurts, it you, you don't move it very much. It feels tight, but also you're cautious about moving it. Mm -hmm. Now, when you apply some tape to that area, it just helps it to feel a little bit more supported. It dampens down the sensitivity and the pain a little bit. It just makes people a bit more willing to move their back a little bit. And if, they, if they're willing to move their back a little bit, it starts to unlock that negative cycle of pain and, and lack of movement and, uh, and fear of movement. And once people are able to move a little bit, they can then move a little bit more, it starts to become a little less sensitive and less painful. And then that can lead to um, more comfort on a on a you know more comfort during a normal day but also start to progress out of that pain and stiffness cycle and more towards a therapeutic movement and um, analgesic response as well so it can just help the individual to um, not just to experience less pain but to start on a more therapeutic movement based movement based journey and with reference to knees so whether it's um, whether it's pain from osteoarthritis or or like yourself, Joe, whether it's from from mm -hmm. uh, five operations, um, regardless of what those operations are, most rehab professionals would probably tell you that it's a very good idea to work on the strength and motor control uh, around your knee, and that involves you know consciously doing exercises, but you're not going to be that happy doing the exercises 
if your knee is feeling unstable or if your knee is painful or if you're just naturally apprehensive about loading the knee and, and going about doing some resistance training. So with the application of a bit of tape, you often feel a bit more supported. Um, there's that increased sensory input to the brain. So the brain's able to modulate and control the movement around the knee a little bit more. And if you're just a little bit more confident to move the knee, then you're going to be happier doing your rehab. And then it's the rehab that makes the difference, not the tape. The tape just allows people to uh, either start that journey earlier or, um, or, or enjoy it a little bit better as they get started. And you know the, the natural body's um, adaptation to strengthening can then take over. So people often, if they have a good experience of tape, they, they think, is it, is it magic? Is there some kind of secret ingredient laced into the tape or something like that? Well, it's really them and the, it's really the, the individual, the patient that's, that's achieved what they've achieved. The tape has just given them a little nudge in the right direction to, you know, to bring about these, uh, these changes, breaking down not just the physical elements, but sometimes psychological barriers as well. And lots yeah. of people are often fearful of, of fearful of movement if they've had an experience of, of pain, fearful of, uh, of, of loading the knee or fearful of bending the lower back, for example, yes. fearful of putting some load through their Achilles tendons for rehab purposes. Mm -hmm. And if we can just if we can just do something therapeutic for them and tape is that potential thing that we can do that's therapeutic, then 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 alongside everything, not just the taping, alongside the the confidence that they have in the therapist alongside the um, experience they have in the clinic and experience of doing something which they thought might be a problem and it, it wasn't a problem so doing some car phrases and realizing that that was okay and didn't cause an aggravation all of that packaged together means the patient can leave the clinic and leave that treatment setting with a with a plan and a, and a confidence to go about that plan leading to those longer term changes and that's one of the key things that we teach on our courses with regards to taping, Joe, is that it's all part of all part of a grand plan. It's not just a case of, oh, that hurts, put tape on it. Oh, that's a bit sore, put tape on it. Yeah. Uh, it's all part of making, making everything fit in for the patient mm -hmm. and their longer term success uh, rather than just taping sore bits. So, so thinking about that, I, what would you say to somebody who gets recommended say they've got a sore knee for example and they've got a race coming up and they haven't used it before but, but they hear about tape and then and they go and, and they wear some for the day is, is that the right way to be using it then or is that should they not be doing that yeah that particular example is okay i see your point though about using it when they're not used to it especially in a competitive situation so that might not be ideal as a concept, but the specific example you gave of taping the knee, like the worst that's going to happen um, is the tape. Well, if they don't get on with the tape, then then they can just pull it off. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't even necessarily have to stop running. They could just pull the tape off and, uh, you know, um, put it in their pocket. Mm -hmm. don't, don't, don't do any littering. <laughs> um, give it to somebody at the water station. I'm sure they'd be thrilled to receive some sweaty, hairy tape that's been pulled off the knee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as a specific example, Joe, I think taping the knee for a race is something that people could try. And, you know, as I say, worst case scenario is they just have to take it off. Um, but of course you can put tape on incorrectly. Sometimes that can cause discomfort, um, making the issue feel worse. Mm -hmm. But also if it's not put on correctly, it's more likely that it's going to fall off and tape falling off halfway through a race might, you know, might be, uh, might be just something that, you know, that you don't need, especially if you're, you know, you're doing well and something starts flapping around your leg and it's this bit of tape and it's stuck in your shoe and you've got to, you know, you've got to kind of slow down or stop to sort it out. That, that wouldn't be ideal. And that might be because it wasn't, wasn't put on correctly and hasn't adhered to the skin properly. So that, that sort of scenario wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be ideal. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is safe and versatile. So in many cases, people can just um, you know just try the tape out. But their experience is likely to be much more positive if they have a little bit of know-how into uh, to understand how to apply it and and how to get the best use out of it. Yeah, great. Um, a 
question that wasn't strictly about a product from a community member. What um, was, what do I need to look for on a physio's website to know that they've had the right training and are qualified and insured to look after me properly, please? Is there a stamp of approval? Well, that's a good question. Um, specifically for, uh, okay, so where do we start there? There's, there's different professionals um, who would all be qualified to help somebody with, with, you know, with sports injuries um, and other types of injuries too. So in the UK, uh, and I hope I cover most bases here, but you've got osteopaths, you've got chiropractors, and you've got chartered physiotherapists. And then you have sports therapists um, and alongside that sports massager, massage therapists, et cetera. The osteopaths, the chiropractors, and the physiotherapists have uh, specific um, professional bodies, organizations, or councils which look after their members. So if you're looking on a physio osteochiro's website, you should see that they have a professional registration with the relevant body. That should be quite clear. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't technically or legally be allowed to call themselves yeah. you know, a, a, by that profession. For um, if you're looking at a massage or sports therapist, there are uh, there are bodies out there which look after um, those groups, and there's organisations such as the Sports Massage Association. Sports Therapy Association, um, Sports Therapy Organization, um, the Society of Sports Therapists, uh, and there's there's a few more I think um, besides, but they're the, the key ones that, that I'm aware of. So you can look to see if the individual has um, is, you know is registered with those with any of those bodies. But if the question was specific to a physiotherapy, well. If somebody is a chartered physiotherapist, then that, that means they've met a certain level of training. They've, they've, got a, you know, they've gone through the training process. And it also means that they have to abide by uh, a professional code of conduct. And um, within that, you should feel safe with yes. them. Thank you. Uh, off piece with this one, bubble bath products are often labelled as muscle therapy. Is there any science behind these? Do you recommend them? So they, we often see things like Epsom salts recommended, um, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, the Epsom salts, if you have a bath with like jets in, you shouldn't use those because they can, um, they're salt, aren't they? So they can rust the internal mechanisms. So there's just a quick tip for your listeners who've invested in a, in a jet bath to ease their aching muscles that um, they shouldn't use the Epsom salts because they're going to they're going to void the warranty and cause their bath to to, to rust so um, after that Joe, <laughs> I kind of run out of useful knowledge as far as, as, far as the, the baths go uh, like we all know that heat we all know that heat can be therapeutic yeah. I know there's um, over the uh, over the pandemic there's been an increased interest in the opposite to heat there's been increased interest in ice ice baths and and cold water swimming, etc., yeah. uh, of which there is there is you know science behind that uh, in terms of again you know um, recovery and desensitization, etc. Uh, I haven't mentioned on my YouTube channel. It's called okay. it's called the Physio Channel. On the Physio Channel, there's one of my videos which is quite popular. is a video on ice baths. Um, and it, 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 it explains a little bit about the science behind ice baths and cold water swimming, as well as some of the dangers of, of jumping into a freezing cold sea. Uh, so that's been quite a popular video. Um, so to avoid digressing too much, I, I'd encourage people to yeah. have a look at that video on, on the cold immersion and ice baths. Yeah, great. Last one. It, one that we could, <laughs> you could talk for hours on, I'm sure. Stretching. There's a lot of opposing opinions about whether we need to do it, and if so, when, before, after. Um, that was that was the comment on on the on the thread. What, what yeah, yeah, of course. Well, as a physiotherapist, I tend to use stretching 
or advocate stretching um, only for individuals when it's necessary. So just speaking very kind of in lay terms, if something feels tight and it doesn't usually, and it's tight because of, you know, you, you're stiff from sitting down too long or it's tight because you've been training hard. If something feels tight, it's probably a good idea to stretch it in order to just try and maintain what you'd class as the normal mobility around, around that region. So around the spine or around the knee or around the hip, for example. Uh, if something doesn't feel tight, then it's questionable as to um, why, why you would need to stretch it. If you take the hamstrings, for example, then, um, sorry, Jay. Where was I? Uh, I'll start again. If you take the hamstrings, for example, I know a lot of people have wanted to stretch the hamstrings. Uh, but the thing is, when you stretch the hamstrings with a simple static stretch, what you're likely doing is just, you know, reducing the sensitivity of the stretch reflex, giving yourself a little bit more range of motion. But unless you use that flexibility, it's just going to go back to normal again, and it's not going to really um, achieve much. So the way to actually try and lengthen muscles, if that's what you want to do, is not through just basic strength, basic stretching. It's through uh, actually through strengthening. It's through strengthening the muscles into the end of range, it's through strengthening the muscles into that stretch position. And that's where you actually have a chance of uh, literally structurally building upon and, and allowing lengthening of the muscle. But that's not gonna happen overnight. That, that happens through a, um, a concerted training effort. Mm -hmm. As for basic stretching, you know, if it feels tight, then, then give it a stretch, but um, don't, don't waste too much time on stretching if, uh, if things don't feel, you know, don't feel too tight. Uh, from a science point of view, it's known that if you spend a good amount of time doing static stretching before you go and perform or train or compete, then it's likely that it will reduce the speed of contraction of the muscle, which is not, doesn't tend to be very helpful. Um, and if you're in an event where you need uh, fast contraction speeds and, and good muscle tone, then trying to reduce muscle contraction speed and reduce muscle tone just before you go and compete doesn't really, doesn't really make sense. So I, I would avoid excessive stretching before anything intense or competitive. Uh, and I would save stretching for, um, for afterwards. And I would focus on areas which, which feel tight and which feel better after you've after you've stretched them for example um one more specific example if i may joe yeah sorry i, I know i've been going on for a bit that's great it's great <laughs> if people have achilles tendinopathy mm -hmm. people have achilles tendinopathy uh it's often advised or people are often um you know suggested to people that they stretch the achilles tendon and i just wanted to get across to the listeners that if you have an achilles tendonitis issue stretching it isn't usually the way to go. It's not usually going to help. What often helps is actually loading, putting some strain through it, doing some static calf raise exercises, for example. That's likely to make a difference, whereas stretching um, often doesn't help. And I'm not saying it could be detrimental, but if you're doing stretching instead of strengthening, well, then your rehab would be detrimental because you'd be spending the time doing the, doing the wrong things. That being said, if you do some calf raises for your Achilles tendon rehabilitation and afterwards you, you, your calf muscles feel a bit tight, then by all means do a bit of stretching to help you know, alleviate that tension and to make them feel a bit better and a bit freer. But spending ages stretching and stretching and stretching often is, is not, not that helpful. Um, in rehab settings, strengthening is usually much, much better and uh, much more evidence-based. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Dan. It's, um, we, we've covered a lot. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for fielding all those those questions from the uh, from the community. Just um, so you, you mentioned your your YouTube channel. Do you just want to give us uh, um, your YouTube, your social channels, rock tape, etc., where people can 
find out more as well about some of the products we've been speaking about um, and so they can connect with you? Yes, certainly. So we've been talking about the Rock Tape products. So on social media, you can look us up under Rock Tape UK. If it's on Instagram, for example, it's Rock Tape underscore UK. And we've got a lot of self um, so instructional videos for people to use tape on our Rock Tape UK YouTube channel. So anybody who's looking for self-taping advice, I'd, I'd point them towards the Rock Tape UK YouTube channel. My personal social media is the Physio channel. Um, so I'll be on Instagram under the Physio channel. But my main platform, Joe, is YouTube, where I've got um, information and instructional videos for either for professionals, I have some as well for, um, for the patients and for athletes. And that's the Physio channel on YouTube where uh, there's some longer form information videos which people watch on a, on a regular basis. Brilliant, and we'll share those in the, in the notes. Dan, thanks ever so much for your time and for coming on and um, sharing your knowledge, it's been great. Thank you, Joe. I just think I need to go and do some research on, on Epsom salts and bubble baths now. <laughs> so I, I feel I let you down on that question. No, no, we, we, <laughs> we get thrown some curveballs. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Cheers, okay. Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Take care. Bye. Bye.